Amen. Well, as uh, you're opening up your Bibles, we are in Joshua chapter 6. And as we're continuing through uh, Joshua chapter 6, one thing that uh, we did last week is uh, we went through the first five verses of Joshua chapter 6. And in going through the first five verses, we talked about just the victory. One of the greatest victories that has ever been experienced by, by uh, any man or by any uh, believer. We know that as, uh, as Joshua and the people, they were there in Jericho. They just had an amazing experience. And this experience that they had was all through faith. And as we talk about this, I want us to understand that these men were walking in faith. They were in total submission to the Lord. They were trusting in the Lord in all that he says. And because of that, they experienced, like I said, one of the greatest victories that any man, any believer has ever experienced. On the flip side, as we talk about this, as we talk about just the, uh, the victory that, uh, that the uh, believers, the children of God experienced, there was also another side to this. There's a flip side to this. And this is really what we're going to be talking about today because, you know, last week we just, you know, we went through this great victory of, uh, of faith that, uh, that they experienced and we talked about it and, and we applied it to our lives. But also there's a flip side, as I mentioned. There's something else that God wants us to hear today and he wants us to really talk about this destruction that comes from sin, Okay. The destruction that each and every person will face if they walk in sin, if they practice sin, if they live in sin. And this was what the people there in Jericho were experiencing. They were, you know what, just sold out for sin. They wanted nothing to do with the Lord. You know, before we get into Joshua, let's just read. I mean, before we get into chapter 6, let's read what what these people in Jericho, what these people in Jericho knew, and yet they still didn't submit to the Lord. Let's open up our Bibles to Joshua chapter 2, and we're going to read this beginning in verse 10. In Joshua chapter 2, verse 10, it says there, For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea. For when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites, who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in any one because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. See, these people, they knew who God was. They knew and they had, ex they had seen it for themselves who the true God was. See, and these people of Jericho, this is who Rahab is speaking of. She is saying that we know that God is with you guys, but yet they did not want to submit to this God. See, it's like many people of the world today, right? They know that there is a true God, but yet they don't want to submit to him. They don't want to yield to him. They want to continue to live in sin. And one thing that we must understand is that if you live in sin, it will bring destruction. And this is what happened to the people of Jericho. Because they lived in sin, because they practiced sin, because they rejected the Lord, they rejected God as they admitted by their own mouths that we know that God is with you and that God, 
and, and, and that this is a God that you serve, but yet they still didn't want to yield to him. They didn't want to submit to him. And so, of course, as people continue to reject the Lord, as people continue to fight against God, we know one thing is that they will be on a losing battle. And this is what we must take away with today is that if people are practicing sin, they are in a losing battle. But see, one thing that we must also understand is that the grace of God covers sin. And in understanding the grace of God, the grace of God wants to cover people's sin. But there must be an act that must take place. There must be a decision that people must make. And this decision is one for the Lord. And if they don't make this decision, then they will receive the destruction from sin. This is what Romans 6 verse 16 tells us. It says, do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey? You are that one slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. And as we think about this, right, there's a decision that everyone needs to make. Are you going to follow sin? Are you going to become slaves of sin? Or are you going to become slaves of God? Are you going to follow God? Are you going to do as he says? You know, the two topics that we're going to talk about, like I mentioned, it's just the destruction that comes from sin. Just like these people of Jericho, they knew that they were in sin. And I'm going to talk about this as we examine these people here in Jericho. But we're also going to talk about the grace of God. The grace of God that, you know, where sin abounds, the grace of God, uh, of God abounds much more. Let's go ahead and read chapter 6, and then we're going to get into the details beginning in verse 6. So in verse 1 of chapter 6, here in Joshua, it says, Now Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand, its king and the mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all you men of war. You shall go all around the city once. This you shall do six days, and seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. But the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times, and the priest shall blow the trumpet. It shall come to pass when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, that all the people shall shout with a great shout, then the wall of, of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up every man straight before him. Then Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant, and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, Proceed and march around the city, and let him who is armed advance before the Ark of the Lord. So it was when Joshua had spoken to the people that the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord advanced and blew the trumpets. And the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord followed them. The armed men went before the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard came after the ark, while the priests continued blowing the trumpets. Now Joshua had commanded the people, saying, You shall not shout or make any noise with your voice, nor shall a word proceed out of your mouth, until the day I say to you, Shout, then you shall shout. So he had the ark of the Lord circle the city going around it once. Then they came into the camp and lodged in the camp, and Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord, 
Then seven priests bearing seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord went on continually and blew with the trumpets. And the armed men went before them. But the rear guard came after the ark of the Lord while the priests continued blowing the trumpets. And the second day they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. So they did six days. But it came to pass on the seventh day that they rose early about the dawning of the day and marched around the city seven times in the same manner. On that day only they marched around the city seven times. And the seventh time it happened when the priests blew the trumpets that Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. Now the city shall be doomed by the Lord to destruction, it and all who are in it. Only Rahab the harlot shall live. She and all who are with her in the house, because she hid the messengers that we sent. And you by all means abstain from the accursed things, lest you become accursed when you take of the accursed things and make the camp of Israel accursed and trouble it. But all the silver and gold and vessels of bronze and iron are concentrated to the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord. So the people shouted with the priests when the priests blew the trumpets. And it happened when the people heard the sound of the trumpet. And the people shouted with a great shout and the wall fell down flat. Then the people went up into the city, every man straight before him. And they took the city and they utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both man and woman, young and old, ox and sheep and donkey with the edge of the sword. But Joshua had said to the two women who had spied out the country, go into the harlot's house and from there bring out the woman and all that she has as you swore to her. And the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab her father, her mother, her brothers, and all that she had. So they brought out all her relatives and left them outside the camp of Israel. But they burned the city and all that was in it with fire. Only the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. And Joshua spared Rahab, the harlot, her father's household, and all that she had. So she dwells in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent out, sent to spy out Jericho. Then Joshua charged them at that time, saying, Cursed be the man before the Lord who rises up and builds the city Jericho. He shall lay its foundations with, its, with his firstborn, and with his youngest he shall set up its gates. So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame spread throughout all the country. This was an amazing victory. This was one of the greatest victories that any child or children of God have ever seen. But like I mentioned, there's a flip side. You see the fact that Jericho was doomed to destruction. Jericho fell flat. All the men, all the women, all the, all the children, all the animals were slaughtered. They were killed by the sword. And why was this? You know, when we look at it, right, it was, as I mentioned to you earlier, because they rejected God. They wanted nothing to do with God. They wanted to live in their sin. They wanted to practice sin. And this is what went on here. You know, last week we talked about the first five verses. And it was basically the instructions that God was giving them and what he would do. Today what we're going to do is we're going to examine what Joshua did beginning in verse 6. And let's go ahead and read what verse 6 says. It says, And Joshua the son of Nun called the priests and said to them, Take up the ark of the covenant and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord. Immediately. After God, after the Lord told Joshua what to do, without any hesitation, 
Joshua goes out and he calls the priest. You know what? When I look at this, right, anytime I see the immediate, the immediate obedience of a man to the word of God, I just love it. You know what? Because, see, as soon as Joshua heard what God had asked him to do, he immediately gets up without hesitation and he does what the Lord asked him to do. See, this is exactly what God wants from us. Don't we want the faith that Joshua had? To hear the word of God and to immediately do as God says. But we think to ourselves, right, in order to know what the word of God is, you got to hear it. you got to know it. And this is why we go through the scriptures. This is why you're here today, right, to hear the word of God. And as we hear the word of God, God is expecting us to immediately, without hesitation, to do as he says. See, this should be our hearts. This should be what you and I should long for, right? To immediately do as God says. You know what? Whatever it may be, right? Whatever he's asking us to do, whatever we heard. You know, this morning, how many of you did a devotion? No, no raising of hands. I don't want to put you on the spot here. But for those of you that did a devotional this morning, did you meditate on it? And when you meditated on it, God is expecting us to do it. See, whatever he tells you, see, we don't want to be reading the word of God just as a routine. Because, see, many people can do this, right? And they forget to grab on to the amazing truths that God has in his word. And so as you hear and as you read the word of God, you know what? Always pray before you read it and ask the Lord to open your heart to what he has for you. Because whatever you're reading, whatever devotional he has, there is a message that he has for you. And this is what God wants us to act on. Just as Joshua heard from the Lord, Joshua immediately gets up and does it. He walks in faith. He doesn't ponder on it. He doesn't think about it. He immediately does it. And what I love is that he goes up and he says, he, he gets the priest and he tells him, take up the Ark of the Covenant. Take up the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant, so you know, this was actually throne room of God that was here on earth. See, this is what was in the tabernacle. This is what was in the temple. This is where God dwelt. This is where he sat. This was his throne room here on earth. And what Joshua says is he tells his priest, he says, I want you to grab the ark. I want you to take the ark, and I want you to take it with us as we're going into battle. See, what I get from this, right, is to understand one thing, that God must be with us at all times, and he is with us at all times. For us as believers, right, we have the God himself dwelling in us. And whatever battles that we face, because they were in a battle right here, right, they were sent, God was telling them, I want you to go right into the battlefield. I want you to march around six times, and on the seventh time, you march around seven times, you blow the trumpets, and when you blow them, you shout, and your enemies will, trump, will, will crumble. See, Joshua did not want to go into this battle unless he had God, unless God's presence was with him, unless God was there fighting his battles. And this is the same for us. Whatever situation we're in, understand this, that it is God's battle. It is not our battle. We talked about this last week. As a pastor, understand this. I am faced with battles on a daily basis. 
here in this church, we're faced with battles. But one thing that I must always remind myself is that this is God's battle. See, the victory's already won. All I got to do is walk in obedience to whatever he asked me to do. See, the same is for us. As a child of God, you are automatically thrown into the battlefield. See, the word of God tells us that you and I are soldiers, right? We're good soldiers. And in other words, a soldier that has been enlisted in the army automatically goes into the battlefield. And you and I are faced not with a physical battle, but we're thrown into a spiritual battle. And this spiritual battle that we're in, we must always remember that we're in victory because God is with us, because God resides in us, and because we are the children of God. And this is what, uh, what Joshua was telling the people. He was telling the people, he was saying, or the priest, he was saying, I want you to come with us. You know what? I, I'm sorry, I want you to grab the Ark of the Covenant, and I want you to take it. And then he goes on to say, and let seven priests, he chooses seven, he says, bear the seven trumpets of rams, horns, before the ark of the Lord. And he said to, to the people, proceed and march around the city and let who is armed advance before the ark. See, as we look at this, as we think about this, Joshua picked seven priests. He also, picked, he also told them to take seven trumpets. And he told them to march around the city seven days. And he says that on the seventh day, you're going to march around seven times. When you look at this, right, when we examine this, when we're thinking about the seven priests, the seven horns, the seventh day, the marching on the seventh day, and then they're going to have victory. See, what does the number seven symbolize? It symbolizes what? Completeness. And as we think about this, right, as we think about the seventh, the number seven, the association of seven with this battle had much significance. See, because what Joshua was trying to say here is that this would be a complete victory of the Lord. It would be no other victory, but it would be his complete victory. And as we know, as we look at the Canaanites, we're going to see that, that, uh, that this was definitely a victory of God. I want to mention to you something about these trumpets, these trumpets that are very interesting because the trumpets that he chose here, the trumpets that he chose, he says, I want them to be of rams, as he says there. He says, of rams' horns. See, these trumpets, when they were blown, these trumpets prior to this, they were, they were blown any time they had an appointed feast. Okay, so whenever there was an appointed feast, whether it be a burnt offering, whether it be, you know what, any type of sacrificial offering, they would blow these trumpets to remind the people that the presence of God was there. These horns that they are blowing is the same thing here. The presence of God was here. And the fact is, is that this was now because they were blowing these horns it was actually a religious battle. And this religious battle that they had was a battle, again, to have victory over the enemies of God. These enemies that wanted nothing to do with God. And as we think about these enemies, understand this. These enemies, these people of Jericho were Canaanites. 
Okay, and the Canaanites, when we look into the history books, when we look at the archaeological findings of the Canaanites, these people were extremely wicked. These people were very evil. These people were definitely people that practiced just these evil, evil and these horrific things. There was these tablets that they found, and they found them. They are called the Ras Shamra tablets. And these were, tablets were discovered in 1929. And these tablets that they discovered, they gave a lot of facts about the Canaanite people. And in these tablets, it talked about their evil practices. It talks about the fact that they had infant sacrifices. It talked about the fact that, that they had a lot of idol worship. It talked about the fact that there was a lot of sexual immorality. And what they would practice would be religious prostitution. This, what was, this is what was going on with these type of people. Remember, these type of people heard about God, and they knew that there was a true God, and this is what they said themselves, right? That you guys serve the true God, and this is why we become fearful. I want to share with you the types of gods that these Canaanite people worship. That way we could get a good understanding as to who these people were. They had a God by the name of El, E-L, okay? El, El. And this was actually their supreme deity, okay? This was like, you know what? This is the one that was the God of all gods to them, okay? And as we think about this, right, this was the one that was over all things. Let me explain to you what this God was to them or things about this God that they worship. This God had actually three wives, okay? This is what this God had. This God had three wives, and each of these wives were actually his sisters, okay? This is the God that they worship. He actually was a bloody tyrant that actually dethroned his own father, okay? And he actually murdered his favorite son, and he decapitated his daughter. This is a God that they worship. Imagine that. This is a God that they, you know what, they bowed down to, they worshiped him. And so, of course, the things that this God does is the things that what? That they're going to follow, right? These are the things that they're going to do. This God had actually a son by the name of Baal. And I think many of us are very familiar with this God, right? The God of Baal, the God of fertility, the God of rain. And this God actually had a sister who he also married. And her name was actually Anath. And this god was, this goddess was actually his sister, and this is who, who they worshiped. And as the, I mentioned these gods, they had many other gods. I mean, you could go on to name the amount of gods that they worshiped. But every single one of these gods were really had no righteousness within them. These gods were evil. They practiced evil. They had evil practices. And these were the gods that they served. See, one of the things that we know, and this is through the Scriptures. And the Scriptures tell us in Galatians chapter 4, uh, Galatians chapter 6 verse 4, it says, For he who sows to his flesh, of the flesh reaps corruption. See, these gods that they served and these people, the things that they did, they were all acts of the flesh. 
These, God, these people, the people of Jericho, the Canaanite people, they were extremely evil and wicked. And one thing that we know about this, right, is that as you begin to practice the things of the flesh, you become enslaved to the things of the flesh. You become entangled to the things of the flesh. And these things of the flesh bring corruption. It brings destruction. You become in bondage to it. But one thing that we know is that you don't immediately get into bondage when it comes to the things of the flesh. It's something that you really begin to think about, that you begin to meditate on, that you begin to, to think about. See, because when it comes to anybody that's entangled in sin, it didn't start immediately. It was basically, it just elevated, it grew, and it grew, and it grew. If we open up our Bibles to James chapter 1 in verse 14, he talks about this. See, because as we look, as we talk about the destruction that comes from sin, understand one thing, that yes, we are all born sinners, but we have the choice of whether we're going to do it or not. And when we choose to do it, it starts small. It says there in James chapter 1, verse 14, it says, But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. What James is trying to tell us is that, see, we all have desires within ourselves. See, we have this thing called the flesh. And when you begin to entertain the thoughts of the flesh, you give birth to sin. See, what happens many times to many people is that, see, we're all faced with a decision, right? We know what's right and wrong. And what happens is, is that people begin to choose sin. They begin to think about it. They begin to just ponder on it. They begin to be attracted to it. And when they begin to entertain it, they begin to do it. And see, and so we as a people always need to be careful when it comes to sin. Because whatever you are tempted to do, if you begin to entertain it, if you begin to meditate on it, if you begin to ponder it, you're going to see yourself doing it. And this is what's going to bring destruction. See, if we begin to practice these things, these things are going to become what? They're going to enslave us. They're going to chain us up. You know, it's just like the addict, right? You know what? What happens to the addict? As soon as he begins to taste of the drug, he gets what? Hooked on it. And this is what James is talking about. You and I can't go to a place of entertaining this, of practicing this, of doing it, right? See, there's many things that our flesh wants to satisfy. And one thing is, is, is that if we begin to entertain it and we begin to do it, we will see ourselves being hooked on it. See, these people, not only were they sinful, but they worshiped sinful things. And they began to do these things. See, we live in a world today that throws so many things at our flesh. It just begins, it, you know what, it's in our face. You could turn it on the TV, you could uh, read it in the billboards, you can see it in the newspaper, you see it everywhere. And as a people of God, sin is knocking at our door. And what it wants us to do is it wants us to open this door. And it wants us to begin to entertain it. 
But understand one thing, that the end result of any of us that begin to entertain sin and begin to practice is destruction. See, we see this, right? And God talks about this. He talks about this actually in Romans chapter 1. And let's open up our Bibles to Romans chapter 1. In Romans chapter 1, verse 18, he mentions this. He talks about this. And he talks about the destruction that comes because of those that begin to practice these things. He says there in verse 18, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. In other words, there's no excuse for anybody not to know that God exists. This is what his word is telling us, and we know this to be a fact. You could look at the world around us, and you know that this world just didn't come by circumstance. Everything that is in it came from a creator and this creator that we know to be God. God has also given us a conscience to know what is right and wrong. And so we are without excuse. And it says there in verse 21, Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their body amongst themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. What he is saying there is that these men, men and women, choose they give themselves up to the lust of their hearts, to the lust of their flesh. And this is what they begin to practice. This is what they begin to live out. Just like these Canaanite people we have today, our world that wants to live, to satisfy their flesh, to live out the things of the flesh. And this is only going to bring destruction. If we as Christians begin to entertain these things, we are going to fall into captivity to these things. These things are going to pull us away. How many of you have known brothers and sisters that have fallen back into the world because of the lust of their flesh? See, we all know people like this, and this can be one of us. This is why the Lord is asking us to take heed today. This is why, as we talked about last week, the victory of our faith today, he wants to talk about the destruction that comes from sin. See, these people of Jericho, they face destruction because they practice sin. And for the Christian, it's no different. If you are practicing sin, you will also face destruction. And let's keep reading and let's read about this. It says in verse 26, it says, For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the women, burned in their lust for one another. Men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves a penalty of their error which is due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, 
full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whispers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, bolsters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to their parents, undeserving, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. He has named, he has listed sin after sin after sin. And he is saying that if you practice these things, that you're going to receive destruction. You're deserving of death. And he also says, and for those that approve of them, did you see that? So you not only practice this, but if you approve of them, you will also face death. See, these are the things that we must look at, right? These are the things that we must examine within our own hearts. Am I practicing sin? You know what? Am I going to face destruction? Only God knows, right? See, when it comes to our faith, right, our faith commits us, what, to the obedience of God, doesn't it? If it's true faith, it will commit you to the obedience of God. We must understand this. See, there are many people that say, I've given myself to Jesus Christ, but yet their lives are practicing something so much different than what the Scriptures say. See, they probably didn't commit their lives to the Lord, or maybe they walked away from their commitment to the Lord. See, the Bible tells us, and Paul says this, right, that in the latter days that many will walk away from the faith. Meaning, in order to walk away from their faith, they had to be in the faith. And what do they go after? They go after the things of the flesh. They go after these passions of the flesh. They're no different than the Canaanite people. And what happens to these people is destruction, is death, as the Lord has spoken. See, there are many people that call themselves Christians understand this, but yet they're living lives that are so, so contradictory to their profession of faith. You know what? And I pray that this isn't anyone here. I pray that every single one of us is committed to doing the things that God is asking us to do. And I'm not talking to you that stumbles in, in, in your walk, you know. It's not us that, that, you know what, that I didn't plan to sin today, but all of a sudden I did something that I didn't want to do. I'm not talking to you because that is not somebody that plans to live and to practice sin. The one that knows he's living in sin and says, I'm still going to practice it even though I made a profession of faith. Those are the ones that need to question yourself, that you need to question yourselves as to where your decision truly is. Is it to satisfy your flesh? Is it to do the things of the flesh? Just like the Canaanite people, everything they did, it was all about satisfying their flesh. Or are we going to do the things that God is asking us to do? When we look at this, as we go back to Joshua, let's read what he says in verse 7. He says, and he said to the people, proceed and march around the city and let him who is armed advance before the ark of the Lord. He's basically saying, you know what, we're going into battle. Proceed, we're going to march around the city, go for it. Verse 8 goes on to say, 
So it was when Joshua had spoken to the people that the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of the ram's horns before the Lord advanced and blew the trumpets, and the ark of the covenant of the Lord followed them. The armed men went before the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard came after the ark while the priests continued blowing the trumpets. Now Joshua had commanded the people, saying, You shall not shout or make any noise with your voice, nor shall a word proceed out of your mouth until the day I say to you, Shout, then you shall shout. Then he had the ark of the Lord circle the city, going around it once. Then they came into the camp and lodged in the camp. What we have here is basically what Joshua is asking them to do. He's saying, go for it. You know what? We go out there. We do as the Lord says. We follow his every command. We do exactly what he's asking us to do. So the armed men went first. The ark went second. And then the rear guard came after that. So you have these men. You have the ark of the, of the covenant. You have the Lord himself. He is there to fight this battle. And what's interesting, what he says there in verse 10. He says, you shall not shout or make any noise with your voice, nor shall a word proceed out of your mouth until the day I say to you. Don't say a word. Don't speak. Don't shout. Don't speak to anyone. See, when they marched around the city six times, understand this, as they marched around the city six times, Joshua knew that these men would say things to them. Joshua knew that they would be spoken to, that they would be screamed at, that they would be mocked and ridiculed. And yet he tells them, don't say a thing. Don't speak, don't shout, don't say a thing, don't speak, okay? How many times do we find ourselves speaking when we shouldn't speak? How many times do we find ourselves saying things when we shouldn't be saying things? I want you to hear what Proverbs 21 verse 23 says. It says, whoever guards his mouth and tongue keeps his soul from trouble. Whoever guards his mouth and tongue keeps his soul from trouble. Understand one thing about our mouths. Our mouths get us in a lot of trouble, don't they? How many of us have a challenge with this little thing that we call a mouth here? I think many of us do, right? And many of us speak when we shouldn't speak. You know, when we think about what God has given us, right? He's given us, what, two ears and one mouth. Let us act in proportion to what we have. And what I mean by this is let us hear more and let us speak less. It's important because no matter what situation we're in, especially in a battle, especially when you're faced with a battle, it's best just to do what? To speak less. See, because your mouth is going to get you in trouble. It does. It's gotten me in trouble. It's gotten many of us in trouble. And this is why, as the Lord tells us in Proverbs 21, verse 23, guard your mouth. Understand that, you know what, it's going to get you in a lot of trouble. And here, the command from God was for them not to speak. For them not to speak until the seventh day. Let's go ahead and read this. In verse 12, it says, And Joshua rose up early in the morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. Then seven priests bearing seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord went on continually and blew blew with the trumpets. And the armed men went before them, but the rear guard came after the ark of the Lord. While the priests continued blowing the trumpets, 
and the second day they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. So they did it for six days. So we see here, you know, the six days, what they were supposed to do, they followed, they did it. And verse 15 goes on to say, But it came to pass on the seventh day that they rose early about the dawning of the day and marched around the city seven times in the, se- in the same manner. On that day, only they marched around the city seven times. And the seventh time it happened when the priest blew the trumpets that Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. Now the city shall be doomed by the Lord to destruction. The city is doomed to destruction. Why is the city doomed to destruction? The city is doomed to destruction because of their sin. See, the Canaanite people desire to practice this. And because of this, they are doomed to destruction. Let me give you other examples. When we look at Sodom and Gomorrah, the same thing happened there, right? The city was doomed to what? To destruction. When we look at the time of Noah, what happened in the time of Noah? The world was doomed to destruction because of what? Because of sin, because they practiced sin. See, when we look at the end times, remember what we talked about uh, in chapter 5, at the end of chapter 5? You know, when we talked about the, the sixth seal? And we saw the seal that brought all this natural disaster, these catastrophes upon the world. You know, we talked about how the sun was dark and it was black and how the moon was like blood. How the earthquakes came, how the meteors and the stars came. The meteors and the asteroids came and fell upon the earth. We saw how the islands and the mountains were moved. We saw all of a sudden how the sky was opened up and there was nothing but blackness, right? Because the scroll opened up and people are just looking and saying, what's going on? And these people, not one of them said, let us repent. What was it that the Lord said? That they all said, hide ourselves from the wrath of the Lamb. Hide us mountains. Hide us rocks. Why? Because they desire to continue to walk in sin. Their desire is to continue to practice sin. And see, if we do this, and this is what God wants us to remind us of, if you are living in sin, you will face destruction. You will face the wrath of God. And let me share this with you. Because it's important for us to understand this. God is righteous and just, okay? Because God is righteous and just, God cannot deny himself from bringing forth the judgment to sin. Okay? Because God is righteous, because God is just, he cannot deny himself from bringing them the penalty of sin, which is death, right? Because this is who he is. This is his attribute. This is a part of God. See, many people don't want to see God this way, right? They just want to see God as a forgiving God, even as they practice sin, even as they choose sin. They want to receive, they want to look at God, and they want to see God only as a God who forgives. But they don't want to see the fact that he is just, the fact that he is righteous, and the fact that he must judge sin because that is who he is. 
See, many people make God into what they want God to be. Many people say, you know what, the God that I serve, the God that I worship, he isn't a God of vengeance. He isn't a God of wrath. They're right. They don't know the true God. They've created their own God because they want to continue to practice sin. And sin will only bring destruction. And this is what we're going to see here. This is what's going to happen here. I want to share these things with you. Do you remember in Sodom and Gomorrah? Do you remember how Abraham, when he asked God, he says, God, if I find 50 people, will you spare the city? And what did God say? Absolutely. Find 50 people. So then Abraham continues to bargain with God, right? And he brings it down. Okay, God, if you find 10 people, right, 10 people, If I find 10 people, will you spare the city? And what does God say? Yes. See, this is the graciousness of God. God said, I will spare the city, but he doesn't say that I will not judge them for their sin. But see, God is gracious, and he's looking for people to come to repentance. He desires that none should perish, right? He doesn't take pleasure in the death of the wicked. When we look at Noah, as we talked about Noah, how many years was Noah building the ark? He was building the ark for what? Over a hundred years, minimum of a hundred years. Do you know what the Bible says about Noah? That Noah was a preacher of what? Righteousness. So in other words, during this time, do you know what Noah was doing? He was preaching righteousness. He was sharing the truth, and people did not want to receive it. See, God is long-suffering. God is gracious. God is merciful. But there comes a time when you keep saying no to God that you will face the judgment of God. And this is what happens. See, as people continue to say no, they will face a losing battle. I want to read to you here from Romans chapter 6. In Romans chapter 6, verse 17, it says, But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that doctrine to which you were delivered. And having having been set free from sin, You became slaves of righteousness. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now you present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. I'm sorry, for when you were Slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now, having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. What God says here is an amazing thing. 
He says, you were once slaves of sin. But when you gave yourself to Jesus Christ, you became slaves of what? Of righteousness. So why do we go back to make ourselves slaves of sin and practice those things that took us into a place of destruction? See, this is why he tells us that the wages of sin is death. To know that what you do as you practice sin, you will receive and reap its rewards. The wages is death. He says, but the gift of God is eternal life. As we look at the story here in Jericho, you will see a person that said, you know what? I am a sinner, but what I'm going to do is I am going to surrender myself to Jesus Christ because I know that he is God. And this grace, this mercy of God will cover her. And let's read about her in verse 17. It says, Rahab the harlot shall live and all who are with her in the house because she hid the messengers that we sent. And you, by all means, abstain from the accursed things, lest you become accursed when you take of the accursed things and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. But all the silver and gold and vessels of bronze and iron are consecrated to the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord. See, Rahab shall live. Why will Rahab live? Because of her faith. Because she trusted in God. You know, well, as we think about faith, right? The evidence of your faith will, will do what? It will produce good works. There will be fruit from your life. See, the evidence shows that you are in the faith. You know, as God says, a good tree bears good fruit and a bad tree bears what? Bad fruit, right? The evidence of our faith, when people want to say, if you're in the faith, that means that, you know what, all of a sudden you're producing these good works. Not that you're saved by works, but you are producing good works because of your faith. That's what was accounted to Abraham. The righteousness that he received was because of his faith in the Lord as he was doing what the Lord asked him to do. The same thing is here with Rahab. As she hid the spies, it was accounted to her for righteousness. It was her faith that saved her. And her, fa and her faith is what protected her from all of this. It spared her. Her decision of faith is what spared and gave her life. The Lord says, and he reminds him, and you by all means abstain from the accursed things. Abstain from the accursed things. Understand this. No matter what, as believers, you and I have been instructed to abstain from the accursed things. In other words, we are not to keep company with immoral people. And what I mean by this is we're in contact with them all the time. But if you find yourself hanging out and desiring to hang out with those that are of the world, you will become just like them. It's important for us to understand this. You know what? We can go out there and we can minister to them. We can go out there and we can share with them. We work with them. We, you know, we're around them. But this doesn't mean that we begin to hang out with them. We begin to party with them. We begin to, to spend our lives with them. Your desire should be to be around the people of God. And not the accursed, not these things that are going to lead us to destruction. You know, when we look at Rahab, 
when we look at Rahab, and I want to talk about her, because see, one thing that we know about Rahab is that she did an amazing thing. She trusted in the Lord. See, Rahab, when you look at her life, Rahab was a prostitute. She was one of these temple prostitutes that participated in these orgies when they were worshiping these gods, when they were worshiping El, when they were worshiping Baal, when they were worshiping Anath, when they were worshiping these gods. She was there giving her body to these gods, okay? Understand this about Rahab. We must understand and we must look at who she was. Because, see, as you look at who she was and as you understand who she was, you will definitely understand the grace of God. See, one thing about the grace of God is that as you give yourself to Jesus Christ, as you come to the faith in Jesus Christ, everything that you ever did has been forgiven and forgotten. Everything of your past has been erased. The grace of God covers you. And this is why, as we know in the scriptures, that it tells us that where sin abounds, grace abounds so much more. See, the grace of God covered Rahab. See, when she said, you know what, Lord? Yes, you are the true God. And because you are the true God, I am surrendering my life to him. And I want you to save me. And I want to just give you my life to be spared from these things. Because, see, she told the spies that as I hide you, as I hid you because I trusted in your God, that you will spare my life. And one thing that God does is that he spares the life and he protects the lives of those that give their hearts to him. No matter what we've done in the past, no matter how sinful we are, no matter what we've done, no matter how shameful it is, no matter how disgusting it is, no matter how embarrassing it is, no matter how wicked and evil it was, God will forgive. God will forget. And God will make you into a new creation, a creation to glorify God, a creation that lives for God, a creation that has now been given a second chance to live. See, because that life before was a life that was headed to destruction. And the grace of God has fallen upon every single one of us. See, you and I are here today, for those of us that have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, you are here today because of the grace of God, and you are a trophy of God, a trophy of the grace of God. Something that reveals to the world that, you know what, that you are not the same who you were before because of your faith, because of the grace, because of the mercies of God. And this was Rahab. Rahab that was completely rejected. Rahab that was, you know what, that was used as a tool of the enemy that enslaved her to sex. And she was freed from it. She was freed when she said yes to Jesus Christ. She was freed from all this bondage of sin. And God does the same for all of us. And this is what's so amazing about the God that we serve. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter if you're the chief of sinners. It doesn't matter if you, if, if whatever you've done, understand this about God is that he will free you and he will deliver you and he will forgive you and he will set you on the road to eternal life. This is the God that we serve, and this is what we have here. See, as we talked about the destruction that comes from sin, we must also talk about the grace that abounds where sin is. 
as we go into verse 20, it says, So the people shouted when the priest blew the trumpets. And it happened when the people heard the sound of the trumpet. And the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat. Then the people went up into the city, every man straight before him. And they took the city. And they utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both man and women, young and old, ox and sheep and donkey with the edge of the sword. This is where people have issues because they say, how can such a loving God do this? See, God didn't do it. They did it to themselves. It was a choice that they made. They chose sin, and sin brings destruction. The wages of sin is death. See, it's not God that chooses this. It's your choice. And this is why God gives us a choice. And this is the greatest choice that we ever make. Either we're for God or we're against God. Either you're going to have the righteousness of God or you're going to have the destruction, the wrath of God. And as we look at this, as we go on, let's read what happens in verse 22. It says, but Joshua had said to the two men who had spied out the country, go into the harlot's house and from there bring out the women and all that she has as you swore to her. And young men who had been, and the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab, her father, her mother, her brothers, and all that she had. So they brought out all her relatives and left them outside the camp of Israel. But they burned the city and all that was in it with fire. Only the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. And Joshua spared Rahab, the harlot, her father's household, and all that she had. So she dwells in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. This is what's so amazing about all of this. And for you, as I looked into the archaeological findings of Jericho, you know what's so amazing? And this is what's so amazing about the God that we serve. It's just, you know what, as I think about this, I just, you know, get so excited about this God that we serve because he is a true and the living God. And he is a gracious God and his promises are true and he never fails you. As he had promised Rahab that she would live, did you know that when the walls of Jericho fell down, did you know that in the excavations they found the foundation of the walls, right? And did you know that in the foundations of the walls that they found, they found in one location the stones of a house that was with the wall. Guess whose house that was? It tells us right here that they walked into the house of Rahab. Hers was the only house in the walls, the all these double walls, these 46 feet high walls, all of those walls came down except for the house of Rahab. Her and her family were in the house. It tells us that they went in and got her father, her mother, her sisters, her brothers, and they took them out of the house. They were waiting in there because they, the, the spies told them, you stay in the house, you put the scarlet cord on the window of your house, and when we come in, we will find you there and we will take you out. And guess what God does? He knocks everything down but the house of Rahab. This is the grace of God. These are the promises of God. This is a God that we serve. He spared her life and it says, and she lived to that very day. Did you know that Rahab is in the messianic line of Jesus Christ? To reveal to us the grace of God. You know what? He chooses sinners. And he makes us what? Winners. 
This is what's so awesome about the God that we serve. He is a God of second chances. And this is a God that we serve. This Rahab, this woman who was a sinner, you know what? This woman was spared because of her faith in God. And we will meet her one day when we are in heaven above. Let's finish what it says here. Then Joshua, in verse 26, charged them at that time saying, Cursed be the man before the Lord who rises up and builds the city, Jericho. He shall lay its foundation with its firstborn, and with his youngest he shall set up its gates. Joshua was saying anybody that tries to rebuild this city, they will be cursed. Their family will be cursed. And there was attempt to do that. And we know that they fell to destruction. When they excavated, as I told you before, they excavated this place in Jericho. And you know what they found? Not only did they find the walls that fell down, but they also found ashes to prove the truth of the gospel. They don't want to admit that it was at the time of Jericho, but yet we have the Bible. We have these words that were written before, and it tells us the truth, and we believe the truth. And as I finish here, it says, So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame spread throughout the country. His, spa- uh, his, fame, <laughs> his fame only spread because of the God that he served. See, he trusted in God, and people knew Joshua because he was a man of faith that believed and did what God asked him to do. You and I, amongst our family, amongst our, fame, amongst our friends, our fame can also spread because of who we represent. It's not for our glory, but it is for the glory of God. And we must always remember that, that your lives are to be examples Your lives are to be a testimony. Your lives are to be lives that reflect Jesus Christ to bring him glory and honor. Not to walk in sin because that will only bring destruction if you practice it. And with that, we will close. Lord, we just want to thank you, Lord, for this glorious word, Lord. Reminding us of the destruction that comes through sin. As we have our heads bowed, as we have our eyes closed. This is something that's between you and those that are here. If there's anyone here that is practicing sin, if there's anyone here that is living in sin, if there's anyone here that has made a profession of their faith, but yet they're not living it out, they're not walking in it, if you want to commit your life to Jesus Christ, Or maybe you've never done it and maybe this will be your very first time because before you knew that it wasn't real because you still continue to walk in sin. This is a time to make things right with him. This is a time to receive the grace of God. This is a time to have your sins blotted out. To have once again the Lord just wipe them clean, erase them all. To make you white as snow. To make that that sheet clean, white with nothing on it. If this is you and you want to make things right and you want to just ask the, for the forgiveness of God and you want to just give him your life and surrender your life to him, raise your hand and we will pray for you. Anybody wanting to do this, making things right with the Lord, anybody that wants to do this, raise your hand and we will pray for you. Anybody before we close, anybody. Amen. Anyone else? Anyone else? Anyone else before we close? If you know you're walking in sin, if you know you're practicing, it's a time to make things right. It's a time to turn from that. Anyone else? Anyone else before we close? Anyone else? Lord, we thank you, Lord, as 
hands went up, Lord, we just pray, Lord, that uh, as there is sin, Lord, in one's life, we just pray that, that, Lord, that they would understand that you are a gracious God and you are a forgiving God. And that you died for those sins. And those sins are, they are nailed to the cross. You became sin. You became sin for us. And you paid its penalty. Lord, we thank you for reminding us of your grace. And I pray as, as hearts were surrendered, Lord. I pray that they would realize, Lord, your amazing love for them. So we just thank you, Lord. Thank you for reminding us the destruction that comes from sin. And most of all, for reminding us of the grace that comes from you. For we know where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. Lord, we thank you, Lord. We pray now that as we're reminded of these things, that we would not walk in them, but that we would walk in righteousness, in holiness, in purity, in a life that is devoted to you, to pleasing you, walking worthy of the call that we have upon our lives. Lord, we just want to tell you that we love you and we thank you, Lord. We thank you for setting us free. We thank you for making us winners. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for giving us a second chance. We thank you for the life that you've given us. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for loving us, even when we wanted nothing to do with you. Lord, you are so amazing. You are so awesome. And all I want to say is thank you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We can all stand for this last song. Why are you stripping these days? Why are you trying to earn grace? Why are you crying? Let me lift up your face. Just don't turn away. These hands. 